you for tuning in for today's episode of the Joy for Ministry podcast. I am super excited to share this episode with you. Our guest today is Ingrid Farrow. Ingrid is the visiting professor of Old Testament at Northern Seminary. She has a powerful story and testimony which she will share with us today. She is anointed and just spoke into my life so richly during this conversation that I am so excited for you to listen. Please share this with a friend, anybody else that you know that needs to listen today. Hi, Ingrid. Hi, Joy. How are you? Here. I'm great. I'm so excited you're here. And of course, we're working through Zoom and there'll be little glitches as always, but I'm so excited. I have heard so much about you through my husband and now I'm, you're going to tell us a little bit about yourself, but I know about you through my husband who is in one of your classes. You are a professor at Northern Seminary and he is in one of your master's classes. So um, I just remember him coming to me like, Joy, you need to hear this woman's story. So I'm so excited to have you on this podcast. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, thank you. It's, um, I'll of course keep it uh, a little bit short, but um, so a few of the highlights is, um, well, I was the first Christian in my family as a teenager, and it started out with me just encountering God's love in a totally life-changing way. Uh, because before that, I had concluded that the only reason anybody's ever nice to somebody is to get something from them. Wow. And it really is the world's way. That's, you know, so much of what we see. So it was pretty realistic. But then I encountered God's love. And, uh, and thankfully, because I needed that to sustain me through the challenges that happened. And one of the things that I had not been told as a young Christian, or for the first few decades of my Christian life was that there are going to be struggles, there's going to be suffering. And I never really heard how to walk through the storms of life. And so when things started happening, um, and I'll give just a few highlights of those, but it was, I I was unprepared. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's a lot of what I'll be talking about, you know, with you and and, uh, with your listeners and stuff today too. so in, in my own life, uh, just a few of the, the highlights, I had come from, you know, like most people or a lot of people at a dysfunctional home. So I had my own issues and, and so forth. And I had never learned how to confront anybody. So I had learned to just always be quiet. If you don't have something nice to say, don't say it at all. And just get along, obey, you know, uh, I had to obey my mother. And, you know, those are essentially kind of good things, except when there's absolutely no opportunity to have a voice of your own. Right. And so... Um, so the, the wonderful little church that I started in new leadership came in and it, it blew up and they were teaching strict authoritarian, uh, leadership. And, um, and so the, the joy and the experiences with God and, and the, the zeal for going out and preaching the gospel and sharing pe- with people and praying for people and even seeing miracles. And I mean, that we just, I saw so many amazing miracles in my first years as a believer. But when this new leadership came in, it just squashed the spirit mm-hmm. and the life out of it. And you were, and you were how old? Uh, by then I was in my early 20s. And so it brought in then the teaching that, especially for women, that we weren't supposed to even get an education because what we were supposed to do is get married, have kids and support our husbands. And the only way a woman could be in ministry was to be married to somebody in ministry and to support his ministry. And so since I had been so groomed and obey the, you know, those who are in charge, you do what they say and so forth, it, I, I slipped right into it. And, um, and so I had been a little bit of a rebel because I had, you know, I had already gone to school I first to be a dietitian and so forth. And, um, but um, uh, so just a few of the, you know, sort of uh, downside highlights after this glorious beginning with Christ. Um, I, w- I did continue in graduate school. So just a little bit about my credentials. Um, so I've got, I do have a master's degree in uh, nutrition and I was an associate professor of nutrition at one point and, um, and, um, but during that time was when also I was, I was having a, a actually a very good career in nutrition. Um, and I, 
again, a lot of a lot of other things I was working for. I'd published and so forth. I did my research. I spent a year in Israel doing research, which also was just a real highlight of my life. But when I came back from that, I fell right back into the same kind of church structure. Mm -hmm. And there was a, a man that I'd known for several years. He had a third of the New Testament memorized. He was being trained to be a pastor. We actually started in seminary together, where I later became Dean of Academic Affairs a few decades later, which the Lord has wow. been bringing things full circle. But, you know, I thought, okay, now I'm going to be able to be involved in ministry. We were leading Bible studies and evangelistic crusades in the area and stuff. But he was, even before we married, um, let me know that he had been unfaithful and he kicked me. And, but I, I didn't know how to back down. I didn't think I could. And I thought, well, you know, sure, we, sure we can make this work because after all, he knows the Bible, right? You know, so he's got to be a good guy. But the violence just continued and, and the depravity continued. And um, I remember when I first, the first time I called our pastor after he had broken my nose, I'd gone to the emergency room and I tried to tell the doctors, no, no, I just fell. And they told me, but I see the imprint of a ring on your nose. And they told me, don't go home. So I went to a hotel, called the pastor, who simply said, go home and love your husband. That was it. No follow-up, nothing else. So I, I checked out and went home. And of course, it escalated. And I didn't escape until after he tried to kill me. And the Lord miraculously saved me. And um, But at that point, I was so beat down that even though I, I had this great career, which is where there can be so many ironies of life, and so often people... Uh, can put on a face and still be able to quote perform in public but in private just be completely devastated mm -hmm. my faith was devastated I would weep I would just bawl every day to and from work and just cry out to God and there were I remember one particular point where I just said God I don't even know why I believe in you because what I, I see no evidence of you in my life and um and, you know, I've met a lot of people who come to that, who've been so beaten down by some circumstances, people, accumulation of things where they just, uh, so many hurts, sometimes, often from the church mm. uh, and often from those who they thought they could truly trust, those who are supposed to love and care about them. And so I, I meet and have those conversations almost every week now with people wow. who are Christians and many of them even seminary trained and uh, pastors and so forth, where they're just saying, I don't even know why I still even believe in God because I just, I've been so beat down by those who call themselves by that name, or I haven't seen God come rescue me in the way that I thought that he should. And so, you know, in, in my life, I remember there were a couple of a few times actually where I was at that point. Mm -hmm. um, and, but I knew I had encountered God. I, I knew I had encountered the love of God in my life. And so I didn't, it was like, all right, I'm not going to, I didn't abandon the faith but I was just so confused. And, and then I ended up having a divorce and I thought now I will never be in ministry. And, and my goal from when I first became a Christian was just to serve the Lord with everything that I had. And I thought now I've got a big D on, on my chest. I'll never be able to serve in ministry. And, uh, but you know, my, my husband at that time refused to admit ever laying hand on me. He did admit to the infidelity. And so I got a divorce, but I felt totally devastated. And, um, and so, but he had also put us so deeply in debt, three times more than that, what I was making as an associate professor. And, and I knew he wouldn't pay it. He had quit working, was going to strip clubs and so forth. And so, um, so I took on that debt and started working in insurance. And uh, so I was doing both of those for five years until I paid off the debt. And then by then I was making good money. I'd started my own business and I was doing well in that. And so I just kept doing that, threw myself into my businesses so that I wouldn't have to even hear my own heart mm -hmm. uh, because I was seeing success. I still believed in God. You know, I would still go to church, but, um, uh, and I remarried and, um, but again, I thought I was completely disqualified because that's what I was told. I was told I was disqualified. And, and so in my, my second marriage, my, um, my husband, um, became ill when our son was two years old. So three years into our marriage, he became ill mm. and that he got worse and worse over nine years. And um, uh, about seven years into his illness, the Lord just got hold of my heart. And 
uh, again, a series of things that God did just as he was trying to draw me back to himself. And, and I, and basically the Lord told me that I needed to go get answers from scripture for myself. And for me, the Lord mm-hmm. told me I needed to get it for myself from the Greek and the Hebrew. So I could see it myself. Wow. <laughs> so, uh, and, you know, and I, I remember objecting to God and saying, but, you know, but God, they say, I can't, they say I shouldn't, you know, there's all kinds of people that say, especially the Lord told me to, you know, get a master of divinity degree, you know, which is, you know, and it's a lot of people in the circles I had been in said, you're not supposed to do that. Um, and then I said, and besides God, I've been out of school now for, you know, I've been almost 20 years. I said, I don't know if the smart plugs will still fire. You know? <laughs> and so I was giving the, these objections and all of a sudden the Lord just showed me standing before him on the judgment. I just saw this, you know, just this great white light in front of me. And I heard God say to me, what did I tell you to do? Wow. It was a fear of God moment. From that point on, I understood the fear of the Lord is clean. It is pure. It is beautiful. Because when you have that, when I knew that I would have to answer to God for what he had told me to do, the fear of other other people left. And I had the strength to go on and do what God had called me to do. So I started uh, a Master of Divinity degree when I was 45 years old. And and just kept on going. And, uh, and my, my husband had encouraged me to do that because he knew, uh, he knew that he knew I needed it, even though mm-hmm. he was so sick. Uh, but uh, two years, my second year into my Master of Divinity degree, after nine years of his illness, he was in such, he had been in chronic, constant, excruciating pain for five years. And he took his own life when our son was 11 years old. And, um, and also I'd been so busy trying to take care of him and, and my businesses and school and our son that I didn't notice that the person I trusted in my business, I uh, had been taking money out of our insurance premium trust fund account and ended up costing me everything I'd ever made, earned. I went, I, I had to pay other people's claims. I was facing up to 50 lawsuits. And at that point, my son also said, mom, I think God is mad at us and he's abandoned us. <sighs> And then also, once my husband died, people in the church felt really uncomfortable with me because they th- they saw these bad things happening. And it was the whole, well, you know, well, what did you do that brought this on you? Kind of like, you know, Joe friends, we've read that, right? You know, what sin did you do that brought this on you? And plus, now I was a single woman instead of a couple. So all of a sudden, it was you know, the, the men, men wouldn't want to talk to me anymore because I'm a single woman. So I don't really have an important role anymore. So I've seen all of these dynamics and there were, you know, thankfully in seminary, there were some people, especially my, my advisor, Dick Averbeck, who just really came around me. He had a, he was a, he's a professor of old Testament, but he also had a counseling background. He had been roommates with Larry Crabb when he was younger. So he understood a lot. So there were people who came around me and the Lord, you know, began to minister to me. Mm. uh, So anyway, I, I, I continued on, I continued on into my PhD. So I have a PhD in theology with an emphasis in uh, old Testament and Semitic studies. Um, and so I, um, I worked at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. Uh, that's where I got my, uh, my degrees in Deerfield, Illinois. So I, uh, I worked there and taught Hebrew and lots of other classes for about 10 years. And then I taught for a year in Sweden at a seminary in Sweden, which was wonderful. Um, mm-hmm. Came back and then um, I, uh, I was Dean of Academic Affairs at Northern Seminary for a couple of years. And I continue now to teach Old Testament. So now mm-hmm. I'm just teaching and very, very thankful for it. But the, the ways that God has restored my life has been so powerful, but he's taught me through his word. So God's word truly became bread and, and life for me. Wow. Truly became life because the Lord would point me back to his word. What does my word say? As well as what have I spoken to you? And so everything became grounded in the word. And um, my son you know, did his life became whole again after five years of complete rebellion, you know, and so forth. But um, so now I have, I have two kids and three grandchildren and uh, yeah. And, uh, and I am so excited to be alive. And, and, and for me, what's so remarkable about that is, is for many years of my life, when I was going through all the hardships and losses and just like, you know, God, I know you love me, but it's only a theological construct. I don't know that you love me. And so there were, even when I was working on my master divinity degree, my prayer to God, I remember three specific years every day was, 
that I would know the love of God that surpasses knowledge, that I'd be filled with all the fullness of God because I said, God, I don't know that you love me, but God met me and I, I continued to follow. So my, uh, my main major area of study uh, my dissertation was on evil from the Hebrew text of the book of Genesis. Mm. And so um, now I continue to do a lot of speaking on, especially the areas of abuse, evil, suffering. And, uh, and it's, it's something that we, we need so much to know how to go through the storms of life, mm. how to evaluate the things that people have said we can't do, we shouldn't do, all the barriers right. that people will so often put up to discourage us confront us, smash us down sometimes, willingly or unwillingly. And so that's my, uh, that's uh, kind of my main, my main thrust, my main mission in life is to mm. encourage and upbuild people to press on into God. That's so good. And I love, I want to unpack some of the things that you touched on from talking about suffering and how to help people through suffering and how that's so important and how you meet with so many people that want to walk away from the Lord or walk away from church. And you so easily could have been one of those people. Um, but there were certain things that you clung to, even, you know, you're talking about when you didn't know that the Lord loved you, or you didn't feel it. You kept seeking that out. Lord, show me your love Lord. You know, and I, those are just things I, I want to touch on. And I, I love so much, but you let's go back a little bit. I find this really fascinating. You thought when you got married, like, okay, now I can go into ministry and now I can do, do ministry and fulfill this passion that you had. And I find that so fascinating, um, that that was what pointed you to now I'm going to walk into my passion and dream because you got married, you were able to do those things. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, and it, uh, you know, along with that came, um, especially after, even during the abuse and, and uh, for years later, I used to be mad at God, why did you make me a woman? Look at all the things I can't do. I'm not allowed to do. I'm told I can't do because I'm a woman. And, mm -hmm. um, and I've, I've met other women who have just similar, it's like, it just isn't fair, you know. Um, and, but there, there has been a lot of teaching throughout, uh, throughout church history and throughout history where, um, where we haven't really understood who we are as women and who God's created us to be. And this is where my studies in Genesis have been so rich. So I'd love to, if I could just share a couple of yes. from Genesis chapter two, that, yes. uh, that just were so, and, and from Genesis chapter one, so even from Genesis chapter one, uh, gaining an understanding of what does it mean to be created in the image of God? Because in Genesis one um, verses 26 and 27, you know, let us make, and it says Adam, humanity, it's the word for humanity, Let's, let us make humanity in our image according to our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish and the birds and so forth, over God's creation. And then it, it goes on to say, so uh, in the image of God, he created the male and female, he created them. Mm -hmm. And so that, so humanity, male and female, we both bear the image of God both as male and female, we were created to, for the purpose of ruling over God's physical creation. And in the, um, just kind of the ancient Near Eastern background use of those words and so forth, it's um, God's, God's creating us is, uh, it, it's family terms. So we are God's family, we are God's children, but that so that they may rule our kingship terms, God mm -hmm. himself, God is king of king, Lord of lords. Um, but he has called us to be his representatives in this physical universe as male and female. So that's the first inkling of where so often we as women feel like, well, we're, we're not allowed. We just have to be quiet. We're not supposed to do anything. And then in Genesis chapter two, where it uh, first, uh, the, it says it's not good that, that you know, the, the man is alone. And, but first in, the, that in Genesis chapter two, it uses like molding, uh, like a, a clay a potter molding. So uh, he formed, you know, the human out of the dust of the earth and so forth. But then uh, when God makes the woman, he uses the term build. And that seems weird unless you come to understand what the words that are used 
in that context. And so two important words referring to women, one is a helper and the other is the word side that's it's translated in Genesis two, usually it's translated as rib. And so first let's talk about the rib language because that word translated rib is only translated rib in Genesis chapter two. The other times that specific word and it's a specific word is used in the Hebrew Bible, it's always translated side. And it specifically is used to refer to next the sides of the Ark of the Covenant, the sides of the entryway of the tabernacle, the sides later for the temple of the storerooms where the treasures are kept. So these are, this word side is referring to a holy place where God's presence is made known. Mm -hmm. And so she wasn't just taken from his rib, she was the other side of the place of God's dwelling, where as male and female, if you have the sides of the Ark of the Covenant, if they're not of equal strength and equal size, they're not going to hold the mercy seat properly. They're not going to properly hold up the tabernacle or the, be properly the places for the storerooms of the treasure. This word side, male and female together, and because we know how hard it is for men and women to get along so often, uh, because there are differences, but side by side, when we are holding our place side by side, we make the presence of God known. And then also that word help, helper. And, you know, usually we say, you know, little mom's little helper or the help, you know, we think of somebody in a maid's dress doing dishes and stuff. But that word helper is used 21 times in the Hebrew Bible. And twice it's used in, uh, to refer to the woman in Genesis chapter two. So that leaves, you know, so of the, 16 of the rest of the times it's used to refer to God. God is my mm. help, an ever-present help in time of need. So it's a strong word. Yes. And it to be strong, to be able to stand next to the man, hold up the sides of the Ark of the Covenant, the, the entryway to the tabernacle in our service to God, male and female, ruling and but yes, you know, but there's still you know, we still recognize that also then in the Old Testament. The, um, the relationship between a husband and wife is the picture of God and his people. And then in the New mm -hmm. Testament of Christ and his church. So there is still a unique role there, but it is uh, even the word love, you know, agape, which is, you know, the main New Testament. It wasn't used much in, in the Greco-Roman world, but it's used, for example, like in one of the major lexicons it says it was used, it was used outside of the Bible to refer to um, a, uh, it was on the tombstone of a general who is highly esteemed or mm. highly valued. And so when you think of the word love to highly value, to greatly esteem, this is how we are to love one another. This is the picture to highly esteem great. So God so highly esteemed the world, God so greatly valued the world that he gave his only son. And this is how our relationships are supposed to be. And so, um, so at any rate, I'll, I could go on and on about that, but it, it really is, it's so revolutionary when we start to also recognize that we are to highly value ourselves as women. Mm. God highly values us. And, um, and I teach about uh, women in the Old Testament. And one of the things as we look, especially women in the Old Testament, we also see it in the New, but in the Old Testament, God highlights women who are bold. They are mm. stepping into situations within a cultural context where they may not have been given a voice culturally, but they stand up and they speak and they do it with grace, mm. but they do it with power and they do it with boldness. And so uh, even a real conservative uh, commentator on the book of Ruth mentioned that Ruth um, overturned the cultural and um, cultural expectations she overturned, here she was the woman of, uh, that was a widow, childless, a foreigner and a Moabite of all things who, you know, they're not supposed to be let in at all and uh, powerless. She had nothing, mm -hmm. but Boaz calls her a woman of valor. Wow. And that term woman of valor is the term that's used in Proverbs 31 that most English translations translate uh, an excellent wife, but she was a widow. She was, she had, she didn't, meet what we would think when we read Proverbs 31, it's like, she doesn't fit that. She did. She was a woman of valor because she stepped into the role and she took care of business and she followed God and she was strong and she overturned Boaz, who was, who was, who was also called a man of valor. He's the rich and powerful one. He obeys her. Wow. God sent her 
because he, it was God had called him to take care of her. And because of that, the Messiah came, you know, that was the, the Messiah. And we see so many women, Esther also overturns, you know, the power structures. And we see, you know, that there's, you know, wise women who like one who comes up to uh, Joab, the general of David's army, because he's about to destroy a city. And she marches right up to him and says, you are about to destroy. She calls the city a mother in Israel. And she takes care of business and gets the guy beheaded that was had caused all the trouble and has a throat, you know, she just stands. And, and we, we have so many pictures and even like the story of Moses, there were five women who delivered, who saved Moses as a baby in order for him to become the savior of Israel. But it goes into detail, mentions these five women who are involved in saving Moses so that he can become. So we as women have powerful roles and we do it with grace. We do it with dignity. We do it in the fear of the Lord, which means, Lord, if you said it, I'm going to do it. Even if it seems like mm, this Lord, I'm kind of stepping into some tough place here, you know, right. but God empowers us to do his will. And we have a unique way, you know, we are different than men, you know, despite of what all the culture says right now, <laughs> you know, we have to put that aside, but the biblical view is just so yeah. powerful. Right. I, I could literally listen to you all day. And when we had our call a few weeks ago, I wrote down so many notes and I went back and I read the notes. And I mean, this is even as you're speaking, and there were some things that I was thinking about all of these people had something in common that they were just obedient to the Lord. Like they didn't all have, they weren't all type a, you know, so I think sometimes people listening and you're talking about these women who were just, you know, did amazing things for the Lord. It wasn't like they all looked a certain way. It was that they just all were obedient and, and said yes to him. And, and you're right. Sometimes we can look at ourselves as, you know, we don't believe in ourselves. We are down on ourselves instead of being bold all all we have to do is just say yes to the lord and and know that he has called us to something that it's not like we have to look a certain way have a certain personality um it's just saying yes yeah it, it absolutely is and um and and it, it's it is in trusting god and leaving the results up to god right people don't listen you know, we, we don't need to tear down doors or, you know, we can right. just, I, I, I love uh, Peter's description of Sarah that says she obeyed her husband. I mean, you know, come on, Abraham. He sends her tw at least twice. It's only recorded twice, you know, basically into a harem and, uh, and says, you know, so that my life will be saved and I'm going to, you know, I'll be taken care of, you know, bye-bye. Uh, not cool. Um, but, you know, when I, when I read book, when I read Peter, but Sarah also, she wasn't mealy-mouthed. You know, there were times she spoke up. Yeah. She didn't always do the right thing either. Neither of them did. They both failed in different ways. Mm. But nevertheless, I love P in, uh, it, Peter describing Sarah that says that she obeyed Abraham and um, because she feared the Lord, but she refused. She didn't fear anything else. So wow. she, she was bold in her, right now, I'm, I'm trying to remember exactly, normally I have it memorized, it's not coming right back to me, but, uh, but basically, when, when we do step out in faith in the Lord, we leave the, the results up to him, and we put our trust in the Lord for whatever happens in our lives, um, and so, yes, it, so it describes, it's, it's uh, 1 Peter 3, describes her as having a gentle and quiet spirit, but we know she was also bold, so it, mm -hmm. it's simply... You know, when I think of a, a, a quiet spirit, it's like, I'm not going to be moved whatever happens. I'm going to keep my confidence and my faith in the Lord. And you may rail against me. You may throw all kinds of, but, um, but my trust is in the Lord. So here, here it says in, in my version, um, she obeyed Abraham and you become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. Mm. So it's, so we, we, in the Lord, as we learn to trust the Lord, we can be fearless. Now, one of the things that I learned big time in my first marriage, it doesn't mean we let anybody roll over us mm. as it is neither good nor nice. It is not right to let evil run over us mm. ever. So when there is abuse, we don't just lay down and take it. Right. Um, even Jesus said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down willingly. 
So if there's a situation where you willingly decide, all right, I'm going to take, but should never take abuse, not verbal, not spiritual abuse, no kind of abuse. It's um, a matter of fact, Leviticus 19 says, you shall surely rebuke your brother or sister. It's a general, it's a family term. You shall surely rebuke. So it's somebody within the family faith. You shall surely rebuke them when they are wrong, but don't bear a grudge. Don't incur no. sin and don't take revenge, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So that context of the second most important commandment, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. It's in the context of rebuking somebody when they are wrong. Mm. I love that. So if we actually love somebody, it does, it absolutely does not mean that we just, Oh, just, you know, right. just treat me badly. It's like, no, this is wrong. I didn't know that because I had been taught submission means let somebody run over you and mm. keep silent. Having a quiet spirit does not mean being silent. And I want to touch on that a little bit. You said that you were told you went to your pastor at the time when you were in your marriage and you were going through abuse, your husband was abusing you and you went to him and he told you to go back to your husband. Um, so if you could just like touch on that a little bit, I mean, now hearing you and, and what the Lord has shown you, it's, you know, it seems like night and day from what you were told early on. So what, like, what was that like being told, go back to this, you know, abusive environment from somebody, you know, that you trusted, that you look up to, that you think is telling you the, you know, the right way to be. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, any, anyone who tells somebody to return to an abusive environment when, when you yourself are in a state of weakness, because I, I, it, it's wrong, it's evil. It's, mm -hmm. I purely have to say it's evil. And we see that kind of evil in the church. We see spiritual abuse, we see emotional abuse. Um, and, um, and anytime somebody is trying to manipulate, um, and force you into a situation where you are going to have harm to your spirit, to your mind, or to your body, or even to your finances. You, you seek, Lord, this is not right. Um, but sometimes it can be so hard to find an advocate. So thankfully now the laws are different. But even with the laws different, I mean, I have seen too many times in churches where the abused is kicked out of the church and the abuser stays sometimes because they have money, because they have a charismatic personality, because they give a lot to the church. And, you know, I've seen horrific situations where the abusers, you know, giving a lot or comes and cries before the Lord and say, oh, he must be a godly person or something. Um, and so often and pastors so often have not been trained still so often, even though we have so much being spoken about this. And so, um, there, thankfully, there is so much more written about uh, women in ministry and things like that. But no matter what the theological background is, God has created us to be people of dignity. And, mm. and we, I think if anything, if we can see ourselves as people of value, people of worth to God and to others, and if we're so beaten down that we don't have that yet, to find, to, to go and find a support group or somebody mm. that can start building us up again. And, um, and, but just to know that nobody, nobody is supposed to take your life from you. And by life, you know, that's physical, emotional, spiritual, anything that is, is stripping you of your value, of your dignity is evil. Mm. It is not of God and God does not condone it. He does not want it. And he wants us to learn how to, uh, to grow in him. Mm -hmm. And God also didn't do it. That was, I think, one of the other big lies that I had taught, that I was taught, that, um, that everything that happens is God's will. And I know there's probably some people listening who've been taught that, but God's will is not evil ever. Uh, and especially, you know, it, it's, you know, I could just certainly go on and talk a lot more about that, but God is not the author of evil. Evil is taking something that is good and twisting it, corrupting it and polluting it, destroying what is good. And so God can take what is evil when we put it in his hands and work with God. God can take an evil situation and work with us to transform it. That's the story of Joseph. Joseph 
um, had evil done to him by his brothers and by his employer's wife. And you know, he had lots of evil done to him, but he continued to remember God had given him a dream. He didn't, when he was put in slavery, it's like, I guess this is my life now. I might as well just settle down. This must be God's will for my life. Cause now I'm, when he went in prison, he didn't say, well, I guess this is gonna, this is my life. This must be God's will for me to stay in prison. No, no, he remembered the dreams that God had given him. He remembered because he did not allow those to beat down who he knew God had called him to be. He remembered God's word to him. And it, it, the way we can see it, we can see it in two places. One is when the Pharaoh's uh, guards came to get him out of prison. I doubt if they treated him well, <laughs> but he had to have been cleaned and shaved and put on clean clothes. I doubt if they had a good conversation with him. You know, I, I doubt if they told him a thing. Next thing, after 13 years of being a slave and a prisoner, with nobody around him to build him up, nobody other than what he remembered about what God had told him about who he was and the stories that I'm sure he had heard from his, his uh, grandfather, Abraham, passed down through his father, Jacob. When he was thrown in front of Pharaoh in this opulent, you know, gold, I mean, it, if you've seen pictures of what those places would have been like, the throne of gold, thrown in front of him, Pharaoh says, I had two dreams. And, uh, and you know, I, I hear you interpret dreams. He still believed he could interpret dreams. And he said, I won't do it, but my God will. Wow. 13 years of being beat down. So he knew who he was. So even if we are beat down, put down, we need to know who we are in God. We need to find our identity in God and stand up and say, I am not beat down. I'm not a nothing. I'm not not enough. God has given me with a purpose and God can help bring us to the place because I was in the place where I thought I was nothing. I thought I was stupid and ugly and powerless and had no purpose left in life. But God retrained me mm. to know who I am in him, that I am the beloved. I am powerful. I was put here to rule mm. <laughs> as this representative in this world to take on the powers of evil and darkness and to subvert them and to bring what is evil and turn it into good in my life, in other people's lives, and in the systems and things around me, wherever God places me. And that is for all of us. I'm nobody more special than anybody else. I'm, I'm, but I'm a human being, and every human being has been endowed with dignity and respect. That's who God created us to be. We never lost it. Christ restores it. And so it, it can be so hard when we're beaten down, but just, I think the only thing is just don't give up. Yeah. Even and I love you. You use that word restore. You use that a, a couple of times and I love that word. And I want to talk a little bit about that process of what it was like as God is restoring you. Um, but I also want to touch on one thing, like as you were going through this you know, the early time of your marriage and ministry and you, you know, how did that shape how you viewed the church? And then as you're walking through that crying out to God, um, in those dark moments, what was it that you felt like he was speaking to you? Was it just going back to that? I just know that he loves me, even though I'm not feeling it. So, um, I, I, I know it's a long question, but like, how did that shape how you viewed church and ministry and God? And how did you push past those dark moments where you could have easily said, God, I'm, I'm checking out, I'm done. Yeah. And yeah, th there were a couple of times when it was really close. Matter of fact, I was just sharing with, with, uh, someone just this week. I remember a time when I was standing in my living room and, at the time I was living in, I had been robbed. Um, I, you know, it was just, it was, it was a bad place. And I remember standing on a metaphorical cliff and standing mm. in my living room as if I was standing on the edge of a cliff, realizing with one step, I could step over that cliff into complete insanity and never have to take care of myself ever again. I could just quit and mm. be totally crazy. And, and that was a, that was an option. <laughs> I had to very purposefully step back. And mm -hmm. at that point it was simply like, that's probably not the best option. 
something's got to work out. I remember stepping back away from the edge of that cliff and just like, okay, I'm going to have to try something else. And sometimes it's, it's just step a step away from the edge of the cliff. Mm. Uh, I used to be jealous at funerals. I couldn't go to a funeral because wow. like, why do I have to stay? I couldn't go to a funeral because I was too jealous that I was still alive. Wow. But, uh, so the Lord's brought me from some deep places of darkness. And, but some of it was just live another day mm. and have, even if it's the slightest glimmer of hope, mm. live another day. And sometimes that's all it was. And, um, and you know, there's at the end of Psalm 27 it says, I would have fainted unless I believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Mm. Be of good courage. Let God strengthen your heart. You know, wait on the Lord, wait on the Lord. And waiting is not something that, you know, especially when you're in the depths of having lost, you know, where it seems like there's nothing worth living for, where you're at the bottom of the pit. Mm. But it's, um, but you know, I remember there was a, a little, little saying my mother used to say, um, you know, there, there were two men in prison and there was a little window. Uh, one saw only the mud and the only saw other, the, only the stars. And, uh, you know, it was a little saying, but at the same time, and I remember another time when I was just sitting outside and just looking down and, and just contemplating, you know, not wanting to live. And some total stranger passed by and, uh, and simply said, you know, if you only look down, you'll never see the sunshine. Oh, wow. And so sometimes God would send little people or, you know, people with a, something to say. And yeah. so I, I remember that myself, you know, when I'm passing by somebody or in a store or something, even the smallest words sometimes, mm. you know, that they can say something to encourage, but um, and so, you know, when, so I, I understand being that beat down and sometimes I say too, it's like, how did I keep going? And sometimes it was simply just live another day. Uh, yeah. Just, just keep going. And, and there were times, you know, I remember there were a few months, uh, when, when the only scripture that I could read was uh, the first line of Psalm 22, <laughs> my mm. God, God, why have you forsaken me? But I also knew how it ended. Mm. And in the morning, my only prayer was, God, help me. And at the end of the day, I would just fall on my knees and say, God, have mercy on me. I made it through another day. Wow. But then I remember in the midst of that time, hearing stories of Christians in uh, the Sudan who were being put into a metal box in the sun every day. And at the end, if they didn't renounce their faith, they'd be beaten. The next morning, they'd be beaten if they didn't renounce and put back in a metal box. One person had gotten out after two years of that. And, uh, and I thought, well, I'm not being put in a metal box in the sun every day. And, and you know, mm. I could go out and take walks, you know, mm. and that, so sometimes it's just uh, finding even the smallest thing to encourage you to, to look for something to be thankful for. And, you know, that was another time when, you know, when my husband was, my second husband was so ill and, and just the, felt like the weight of the world was on me. And I was so angry and I was so bitter and I would, yeah, I was, I was so angry. I was, I was, I had developed a severe, severe illness and, mm. uh, and the Lord, you know, the Lord just woke me up uh, one morning and, uh, and, you know, and, and I, I'll, I won't tell the whole encounter, but the Lord told me that it sounded so trite. He's, it, but I, he miraculously healed me that night, which, you know, I, that's a whole story myself, but in itself, but, but he told me, you know, the, he said the, the key, I'm going to teach you the three keys to happiness. And it sounded, it sounds so corny, you know, <laughs> even now, but he said, you know, um, and he had told me, remember the 10th commandment, you shall not covet. Cause my, my husband at the mm -hmm. time was, you know, he was saying, well, I'm anyway, um, he was really big on the 10 commandments at the time. And I was kind of like, Lord, I don't want to hear this again. You know, and he said, I gave that in a time when people were living in the wilderness. They didn't know when they'd have water. They were just had manna to eat. They were living in tents and, uh, and it was going to be a long time in the wilderness. And I still expected them to not covet because I gave them provisions. So, so the Lord mm -hmm. said, here's the three first, be thankful for anything and everything you can every day. And, you know, it's something we hear, but I, to actually practice it, and he said, look for anything, anything you can be thankful for at all, anything beautiful, anything, just look, spend your focus looking for something to be thankful for. Because if you do that, then you'll find that you, you are, uh, you'll find your contentment growing. Mm. And as you find your contentment growing, you'll actually find you're happy, even before your circumstances change. Yes.
And so I started, I found with each of the major transformations, the loss of my husband, the loss of my finances, the loss of my son, you know, when he was in total rebellion, they, each of those circumstances started to change before the circumstances changed. My heart mm. started to change. I started looking for things to be thankful for. And my son at seven years old gave me one of the best pieces of advice anybody ever gave me. He sat me down and said in his most serious voice, mom, we have to laugh at least once every day, even if you have to tickle me. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome. Yes. And I remembered that through the other hard times that came. Wow. And so, you know, some of these are just simple things, but they're actually, there's verses about all of them. <laughs> there's verses supporting everyone. A cheerful heart does good like medicine. Mm -hmm. You know I mean? So these are simple things. God gives us some simple things that we can do to sustain us. And that's why there's the book, you know, the books in the Bible like Job and Ecclesiastes and, you know, that are dealing with when, when life is to completely blown up or when you, you've sought everything and there's still, you're not finding meaning, everything has just slipped through your fingers. You know, God gives us these books. And even the fact that in the Psalms, almost a third of the Psalms are Psalms of lament. Mm. And we rarely hear those preached on, but almost a third, it's the biggest category. Wow. God gives us language in his word to express, where are you, God? How long? And, and you know, and, and even things like, Lord, smash their teeth. You know, I mean, it's, he, and I remember a, a student who had been through some real, real hardships in a class. We were talking about the Psalms and Psalms of Lament. And she mentioned, she said it was because of the Psalms of Lament that kept her from going out and, mm. and causing crimes and har to harm the people who had hurt her so badly. Because wow. she said, she, she saw the language, she said she knew God could handle it much better than she would. Wow. She trusted that God would, God is a God of justice. Mm. And so she was able to have that language of the Lament Psalms and still cry out and say things. And you know, there've been times I shook my fist at God and called mm. him names and stuff. God wasn't offended. Yes, that's so I good. felt so bad the first time I did it. It was like, oh, is lightning going to hit me or something? But mm -hmm. God knew what I was thinking, and it it was I was communicating my pain to Him. Mm -hmm. God, He He wants to walk with us through our suffering. Mm -hmm. And yeah, no, that's so good. And I think what you you talk about suffering, and like you said, it's not something that we talk about. And I think sometimes people get surprised by it. Like, well, why is God doing this mirror? I shouldn't be suffering or, but I love that you are meeting people in their suffering and helping them through that, because that's something that we don't think we, well, we don't need it until we need it. And, um, and so in, in, you know, your story talking about, you know, how the Lord has restored you. It seems like so much of that just is from you going to scripture mm -hmm. and you being obedient to the Lord to go to seminary to, um, you know, to take this step, but talk about like how, what that was like for you, you go to scripture and you're, I mean, you could just see it in you. You, you love the word of God and you, it's life to you. And so is that, is that where you started to get healing and restoration? And what was that like? Yeah, it's, you know, it, I think a lot of it started with just the really simple practical things because the word of God had been weaponized against me also. Wow. Used scripture to beat me down and to mm. beat me to, to a wrongful submission to, to subordinate to, yeah, to into pain. So when scripture is used against people, it can be really hard to go back to scripture at first. Right. And so people who say, I can't, I can't pray and I can't read scripture right now. I'm not beating them up either. Mm. So, so it depends on where, how, where, where you're at, you know, right. right now in my life, my only regret is that I didn't memorize more scripture when I was younger, but that was a long time bringing me to that place. But that I, the Lord did bring me to the place where I came to understand that his word was that, that life-giving, life-giving thing. Mm -hmm. But it started with me just doing the simple things like living another day, mm -hmm. trying to find something to be thankful for, just changing my focus. What is it that I'm making big in my life? Am mm -hmm. I, because um, God did create us with needs and desires, even in Genesis chapter two, in the garden when everything 
was still beautiful and fresh and perfect uh, or pretty perfect, except there was the tree of death there. Mm -hmm. But, uh, but even there, God created us with needs and desires. We had a need for companionship. We, mm -hmm. we had a, uh, a need for water, for, for food. God made things that were desirable, trees that were desirable to look at. He made us with needs and desires, but it's mm -hmm. what we do with those needs and the desires that will determine the path that we take. And so we've become so accustomed to thinking God hasn't taken care of my needs and desires, so I better take care of it myself. Well, mm -hmm. that's actually the start of Genesis chapter three. That's how everything fell apart is when we try to take care of it ourselves, but it feels like God has abandoned us. But even in the garden, when God said, it is not good that the person is alone, mm -hmm. and it's not evil because that term not good is only used there in the book of Genesis. It's not evil. So there can be something in our lives that is not good that is not evil, but it's not good. It's not fulfilled. It's something where there's still an unmet need or an unmet desire that God does want to fulfill in our lives. Mm -hmm. So what do we do when we recognize an unmet need or an unmet desire? Because again, God didn't immediately bring the woman and do all that. He first paraded all these animals past because he wanted uh, the Adam to to partner with God in that process of figuring out what is it that I really need and want? Well, mm. it's not the giraffe. It's not the rhinoceros. You know? <laughs> there was a process. He's observing. Mm. God gave him opportunity. And there was time, even in the garden, when everything was right. Mm. So, it's, so the waiting, learning to wait and observe, try to observe what's taking place. Mm -hmm. and um, paying attention. So I think that's part of that process. And, and, uh, and also, again, it's, you know, the, the first time the word command is used in scripture, when God gives a command, I would have thought that the first time command is don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But the first time command is used is of all the trees, look at all the trees in the garden that I've given you, eat freely. Mm -hmm. That's his first command. Look at what I've given you and eat freely. And, uh, but we tend to go right to the negative. And so that's where so often some of the problems come in is we go right to the negative. And so we to start reversing the negatives in our life, we have to start going to the positive. So it's very practical. And even the, the world, secularists can understand this because God has set his basic principles of truth in the way the world works. So even secularists, people who don't believe in God, people who are completely, you know, who have left, they can still start experiencing some of these things because it's a principle that God set in creation. But it's all intended to point to him because he's the one who set all these laws in motion. So, so just starting with the simple things, but then as you heal, to go to the word of God and at yourself until it becomes life within you. Till God speaks life from his word into you. So when you read the word, just to read it prayerfully, and, and even if it feels like you're not getting out of it, anything out of it, to still, you know, but again, I understand for those who are so wounded that they can't, it's like, it's okay. It's okay. Mm. It's, this is the law. This is as you heal. So there's this process that people have to go through as we yeah. heal from abuse and woundedness. I'm so glad that you said that about, people having scripture used against them. I, that was honestly something new to me um, that I've just recently like really come to reflect on that, you know, and, and you've, you've spoken about it earlier in the podcast, but when people use scripture and they, they use it in a way, whatever to manipulate or to, you know, have a certain agenda, um, how damaging that is because listening to it, you could say, oh yes, you know, that, that does sound good. And, you know, so I'm, I'm glad that you called that out. And I think that's something that could be probably a whole other podcast, <laughs> but, you know, recognizing that these things that are good can sometimes be used in a way that wounds us. Yeah. And even the temptation, Satan himself used scripture against right. Jesus to tempt him. So Satan knows scripture, but he left a little bit out. He quoted part of Psalm, a little bit of a verse from Psalm 91 and left part of it out. And so Satan will use scripture again to try to mm. tempt us, harm us, destroy us. 
and people right. will, will weaponize scripture to, to do that. So you have to look at what's the impact. Mm. You know, I, I love in James chapter three, it says the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, mm. easy to be entreated. You know, there's no hypocrisy in it and it produces peaceable fruits of rights. It produces peace. So when you, when something inside of you, and so often, especially people who've been abused have, have learned to not trust their own instincts. They may have been gaslighted, right. manipulated, intimidated, all these things where you're taught to you no longer even trust your own instincts. There's mm. some instincts that some are good, some are bad, but we need to learn how to listen even within ourselves and say, oh, wait a minute, this, this is making me really uneasy. Mm. Um, I think I need to think about this a little more, you know, but, um, but yeah, that's, that's really good. So I, I love when I come to these parts of the interview where I say, what would you say to somebody? So I'm probably going to put you on the spot here with some things, but you, I know that you speak with other people about suffering and you've talked about how you hear a lot of people that have, are dealing with hurt. Um, what do you say to the person who's listening and has been through a world of church hurt where scripture has been used against them or they have not seen justice yet in an unjust, you know, in an unjust situation towards them. What do you say to that person to encourage them? The very first thing is be kind to yourself. Mm. Be with yourself, give yourself lots of space and grace. Um, because when you've been beat up, no matter in what way you've been beat up by the world, by people, by scripture, by whatever it is, um, so often we think it's, it must be my fault. What did I do? There's something that I'm, and so often we're beating ourselves up. We're beat down enough. And so, um, and, and people have so often tried to apply the law, especially Christians will use the Bible like a hammer just, and it's like, God never manipulates. Mm. Um, and so the first thing is just give, give yourself space, be kind to yourself and, and notice the negative things that you're saying about yourself and just start saying, saying something different. Um, because so often, you know, again, I had come to the place where I believed that I was stupid and ugly and had nothing mm. that, you know, that I was incapable of doing anything. And, and so it took time, but that is, that's, that's the first thing. Be gentle, receive grace. And anybody who mm. doesn't give you grace, anyone who doesn't give you kindness, get them out of your life, mm. get away from them. Just get away, do whatever you need to do to get away from those who are causing for any pain who have caused pain or because you need, it's like, we, that's why we put people in, in the hospitals, you know, whether or not, you know, that's why we put, that's why we need vacation. You know, we need, right. we need a, a safe place for our heart mm. and our body and our mind to heal. And it takes time. Mm. It's time. Yeah. Um, you went back to school at 45 years old, uh, in spite of what some people said you should or shouldn't do. Um, and that's inspiring. So what would you say to the woman listening who says, I'm, I'm 45, I'm 55, I'm 65. Mm -hmm. Where, what is my role in ministry? Like now at this point in my life, what can I do? You know, what would you say to that person who's listening, yeah. who's, who's feeling that? Well, uh, um, the, the first is because especially in, in our culture, you know, everyone, the whole focus is on young youth and so forth. Mm. And, and so um, it's never, you're never too old. It's never too late to follow God and do something bold, brave, and fun. Mm. Follow, if there's something that excites you, go for it. <laughs> Whatever, that. just go for it. God delights in, in our delight. He wants us to be delighted. Uh, mm. in, in John 14, 15, 16, 17, he talks frequently about joy, that your joy may be full. Mm. <laughs> So here we are, the name of your ministry. God actually wants us to have joy. It was a time in my life, my sister asked me, are you happy? And I said, what does that have to do with life? I, wow. That's so wrong. But there are people that are there, people listening right. there. God actually wants us to be happy. He wants us to find, to pour delight because it's life-giving. Get away from people who are life suckers and get into whatever it is that's life-giving. And, you know, it, you know, it, it may be, helping somebody make a quilt. And that may be a ministry that you, whatever it is that gives you joy, 
do it. Oh, and I got to mention, so in uh, the book of Numbers, in the, oh, I think it's chapter 14, uh, where Caleb comes to Joshua and Caleb, the good spy, the one who could have gone right into the promised land, you know, the one of only two who's still alive. He has to be in the wilderness for another 40 years because of the sins of the people around him. He comes into the promised land. He spent five years now helping other people get their inheritance. He comes up to Joshua and says, I am this day 85 years old. God promised me that mountain. Give me that mountain because I can take that mountain as my strength was then. So is it now. Wow. Pray and ask the Lord for strength for healing, for restoration. I have seen God restore my physical health, my physical strength, so many things. God will give you the strength and length of days to accomplish what he's called you to. Mm. Don't give up, don't give in. Go for joy and life and it will be health to your being. Mm. That's so good. That's so good. And I love what you said earlier about all these powerful women. And then you, you said, just leave the results up to God like leave the results, but that's so freeing. That's like, we say, Oh, I can do that. (laughs) Yeah. 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 That's so good. Whatever we do accomplish, it'll be more than if we never tried and we'll have fun along the way. Have fun. (laughs) (laughs) That's so true. Yeah. So I know Jason had, had told me, um, that so you have one book out on evil and Genesis and you have another one coming out. Yeah. So how do we get, so what is your second one coming out about and how do we get our hands on that? And can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. And, and it's actually, I'm, I'm going to hear tomorrow to confirm, you know, some of a little bit more of those details. So, uh, so, but I do have a page on, on Amazon. There's actually a book that I, that I did write with a friend of mine, uh, for, uh, for moms and dads or youth leaders. Uh, so it's just, it's called Honest Answers, Exploring God Questions with Your Tween. So it's just a real practical book. It's just a helpful book. Yeah. And so if you just look up my name on Amazon, you'll see those two books there. And then if you do follow, then when the next one comes out, oh. which I'm hoping, hopefully, about around the end of the year, but it's still a little too early for me to say. But And right now I just have a working title, which is Navigating Evil, but it's the practical it's, um, it's just a practical guide to mm-hmm. how to handle evil and what we can do about it. Nice. So, so I'm going to put your link on Amazon in the show notes so people can find you. you. Um, do you, where do you speak? Do you, I, are you, I know that I read some of your bio. Do you speak at churches or what are your, are you mainly professor right now at college at seminary? Yeah, I I frequently do speak, you know, of course, with COVID, you know, I I was doing some Zoom talks and stuff, but, um, but I do speak at, uh, at churches and retreats, I've done that. And, and um, uh, I do have a, a a podcast with two of my colleagues at Northern called Alabaster Jar. And so if you want to look up, check out Alabaster Jar, I'm on some of them and Lynn Kohick and uh, Beth Felker Jones. So the three of us kind of take turns uh, talking mm. to uh, mostly women. And so that's a, that's a fun podcast also. We just, just started it this, this summer actually. So that's nice. we're having fun with that. And um, yeah, that's, that's probably, those are probably the, the main things right mm. now that, uh, that I'm involved in. Well, thank you so much. This is, I cannot wait to re-listen to this <laughs> and to go over my notes and the scriptures. It's been just so rich Um and so good. Any parting words that you would say to a woman in ministry listening? Um, maybe something on how how they can get fed themselves. As women in ministry, we're caring, we're giving. What are some ways that you get fed yourself that you could encourage, encourage other women? Yeah, that's um, I, I do. I've developed. Um, Friends, especially I've got some a, a couple of small small circles of friends where we pray together, where mm-hmm. we we um, where we can just you know do those as what my one friend calls it those power prayers, and where we can reach out if one is down, you know, then or facing a situation, we just pray with each other, and sometimes we'll do a prayer vigil. Of, you know, we're just wow. to, to find those friends that build you up, get away from the ones that tear you down. Mm-hmm. It just you know they're. they're 
the relationships I've had to distance myself from because mm-hmm. they were they just were so negative and so forth. So it, you know, if it's not ministry, but find those people that that are um, that are that do build you up. And yes. there are so many good books out now too. It's um, you know I it, it's it's hard to even say where to start, but just uh, if anybody wanted to reach out to me and say you know where can I find books on you know whatever topic um, you know I've got bibliographies on you know, everything from abuse to women in the church to um, uh, narcissism, <laughs> you know, I mean, wow, it's right. you know, dealing with narcissistic relationships and so forth. Mm. So, you know, I would always be happy to share some of those uh, resources, but thank but, you so um, much. Yeah. Thank you, Joy. Appreciate thank it. you so much. This has been um, and just encouraging, amazing conversation. I'm so thankful that you took the time to come on and share your story, your heart, your passion. So thank you so much. Thank you. It's been a real pleasure. It's been great talking to you and getting to you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening today. I put the information for Ingrid in the show notes. Um, Please rate us, subscribe, share this episode with a friend. Also, if you need prayer or you just need somebody to talk to, please go to our website, reach out. You could email joyforministry at gmail.com. You can submit a request through the website, joyforministry.com. We would love to walk alongside you. Also, I'm super excited about the video conversation starters that are coming out to go along with the journal. I'm going to be sharing some posts on that through our social media. You can find out more information. If you want a devotional journal, just send me an email and I will ship one right out to you. Thank you so much for tuning in and... I will see you in the next episode of the Joy for Ministry podcast.